A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, history, friends, patrons, all. Welcome to October's collaboration episode. It's two parts, a two-part collaboration episode, because I just couldn't get Sebastian Major to stop talking. No, I'm just kidding. Sebastian Major joins us. Sebastian Major, if you didn't know, is from Our Fake History, which is a really, really good podcast, and I really have to recommend it because, for me, it was very useful and very interesting, giving me some little background, little interesting nuggets on the last siege of vienna so make sure you check out our fake history by searching for it in your favorite podcatcher or going to rfakehistory.com so what's going on what's in the box here why should you care about this collaboration episode and what exactly is here to interest you if you're just stopping by well let me just put it this way sebastian major is a very interesting guy he's a very talented guy he's a teacher he's canadian he's a canadian citizen and he is very much not at all a fan of white supremacy. He wanted you to know that because, oh dear, he wanted you to know that because for whatever reason that comes up about like five different times in this episode. But it's a very fun conversation. As you can see, it's been split into two halves. The first half is coming out to everyone in the one go. The second half will be out next week for normal listeners, but it's out straight away for patrons. So if you're in the mood for feasting on everything all at once, Make sure to go to patreon.com forward slash when diplomacy fails and follow on from there. Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a very, very fun collab. I really had fun doing this. I had a really good time talking to Sebastian Major because I just sometimes you just come across people who you feel like you can really get on well with. I've never had a collaboration episode where I've been like, oh, I hate this guy. I can't stand him. But I think there's been certain ones where I'm like, wow, this went so well. It was so easy. Like, yes, I had to prepare some stuff, some questions, but... You can tell when the conversation flows naturally and when the kind of the personal part as opposed to the more kind of informative part of the collaboration episode, when the casual personal me just talking to him about his life and about his career and his interest in history, etc., when that lasts longer than the actual segment of Vienna, that's how you know that you're on to a winner. And if you want to hear two history podcasters just shoot the breeze about what's going on with history podcasting and why they love it so much and what they do enjoy, what they don't enjoy, the specific examples of things that they want to do in the future and what they have done already, then oh, stay tuned. It's one of those really hard kind of ones to define, so I'm not going to try and remember all the little bits. There's some nice surprises in here, and yeah, it's just a fun conversation. I've been told that it's really good to listen to these while you're running, so if you're running right now, I really, really hope you enjoy this. If you're not running right now, I hope you enjoy it anyway. And yeah, let's just get into it. I'll see you very shortly. And remember, there's a second part to this, so listen to that if you happen to be interested. The next voices you hear will be mine and Sebastian Major's. Let's do this. Zach Tromley, When Diplomacy Fails and Sebastian Major are fake history. Thanks and enjoy. My friend told me the other day that the same guy who 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 I was talking to at that barbecue, he said, "Oh, are you listening to history podcasts?" And he doesn't even he didn't even really know that I was a history podcaster. He oh, sort really? of did. Oh wow! Yeah, but he just kind of uh, we were talking about history, and then when he brought it up, I was actually like, "I'm a history podcaster." But then he was literally like, looked me dead in the eye. He looked me dead yeah. in the eye, Sebastian, and he was like, 
have you ever listened to our fake history? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no way, I'm going to do a collaboration with him. And he was like, oh, that's so cool. And then I was kind of trying to be like, you know, I have my own podcast. And then he was like, so, and then he just changed the subjects completely. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Like, if you really want to blow that guy's mind, uh, and this is true, and we can say this uh, on the recording too, but when I was thinking about starting my podcast, uh, uh, When Diplomacy Fails is one of the ones I was listening to. Really? And uh, it was no, I was uh, I, I listened to your um, your series on the um, the Seven Years War, oh. and uh, and also just some of your very early episodes. Yeah, it just made it just helped me sort of kind of uh, get confident that that uh, I could do it too. Not I don't know mm. if that sounds uh, <laughs> somehow degrading of what you were putting out there, but <laughs> it was just like it was just like this guy seems like a regular dude. Yeah. You at the time, yeah, I think you were still in university, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, and it's like this is a regular guy who's doing this just because he's passionate about it, and he's putting out something that's pretty good. Mm. So uh, it made me kind of feel like, yeah, you know what? I think uh, I think I could throw my hat in the ring. But yeah. uh, so you were a bit of an inspiration to me. So tell that back to your buddy and be like, yeah, man, I inspired that dude. So uh, <laughs> deal with cool. that. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that next time I see him. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's good. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay, well. Welcome, 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 Sebastian Major from Our Fake History, and thanks very much for joining us on When Diplomacy Fails. Huge pleasure to be here. Thanks so much, Zach. Oh, that's very kind of you. Well, I, I we have a good bit of stuff to talk about today, but as is my want, I like to get to know the history podcaster that I'm on with before I start to kind of lob the more weighted questions at, at them. So with that being said, tell us a bit about yourself. Where are you from, in case people don't know, and, and what is your, your your podcast baby, Our Fake History, and what's its kind of niche? What does it cover? Okay, uh, well, uh, I live in Toronto, Canada, and uh, I, I grew up just north of uh, the city of Toronto. Uh, I am a Canadian. I'm one of a handful of Canadian podcasters out there. Our Fake History is a show about historical myths, so it's a show about Stories that people think are history, but maybe were just made up somewhere along the line. And then also um, history that might be hidden in legends. Examples of that might be uh, a story that people think is history is um, that Napoleon shot off the nose of the Sphinx. Right. That's a common sort of understood idea that like Napoleon got to Egypt and was like, you know what? I don't like the look of the Sphinx. I'm going to set up I'm going to set up my cannon and uh, and blow its nose off. Yeah. No, no, that is a, that's a completely manufactured story. And in fact, the real story of how the Sphinx lost its nose is uh, is very interesting in its own right. The other sort of side of, of what I do is I look at a legend. So something like uh the story of the Trojan War or the story of Atlantis or eventually uh, next year I've got uh, – I'm going to be looking at the story of Robin Hood. And uh, these are uh, stories that people just assume are entirely fiction uh, that might just have a kernel of historical truth at the heart of them. So cool. I, I kind of explore that as well. Ah, very good. I didn't I, – I mean I suppose I should have realized, but when I hear our fake history, I'm like – Hey, do you ever watch the show Mythbusters? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I think of. I'm like, you're the historical Mythbuster kind of guy, except <laughs> with, with less explosions. But yeah, it's cool that you can take it the other way around and see if there's actually some truth behind the likes of the likes of Troy and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's cool. Thing, well, sorry, just to add to that, one yeah. thing that, I, uh, that was important to me is that a, a lot of myth-busting shows have this very, like, snarky attitude, like, Oh, you were so stupid to ever believe <laughs> that that fake thing. Like, how how could you be so dumb? And uh, that's not really the spirit of the show I'm trying to put out there uh, mm. because the sh the stories are really good. And so, our fake history is more of a celebration of those stories. Sure. Uh, and when they're when they're not true, kind of showing the process of how we figure that out using sort of uh, historical research methods. And uh, when they are true, sort of relishing how amazing these weird stories actually yeah. are. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to just be the like, mm, well, actually, uh, you're dumb <laughs> for ever thinking that Napoleon could have shut the nose up the Sphinx, you dumb dumb. Like, that's not that's not me. Yeah, yeah. 
Cool. Okay. So you, you take a considerate approach to history. That's good. I try to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to be, because you have to be careful in this day and age. I mean, I covered the 1916 rising for the centenary of it. And right. if, if you didn't know, in Ireland, it's a very big deal. And to this day, our political process is still shaped by it. And to a lesser extent, our political parties are. But there's like this idea that, oh, noble Irish rebels resisted and everything. And to to a lot of people, that that is enough for them. But to other people, they want to know kind of what really happened. And you have to be careful, as I as I well knew when I when I decided to give my own take on it. But yeah. I, I, I absolutely didn't want to be like, oh, you're wrong. And this is why I wanted to be like, this is why I feel this way. And I, I suppose yours is more fact-based, but that was the kind of the first time when I really delved into something and was kind of like really passionate about it. Do you ever get really kind of passionate about your topics? I suppose, is there any maybe, oh, yeah. maybe, yeah, kind of like maybe Canadian myths or anything like that or anything closer to home? Yeah, you know what? It's funny. I haven't really gone deep into a Canadian topic yet. And that's not because... I don't think Canadian history is interesting. Um, it's funny. Canadian history has a reputation as being one of the most boring national histories uh, out there. But I don't think that's true. And actually, as a as a history teacher, I think that's a, kind of an unfair stereotype. I think we've got uh, just as much uh, uh, drama in the, in our past as, as any other nation. But for whatever reason, I, I haven't really delved deep into a... Canadian topic, but w- one thing I do want to do, I eventually want to get do do a whole series on uh, a couple big sort of Canadian mythological figures. So um, in Canadian history, colonially, and this is to say nothing about uh, Indigenous Canadians, the First Nations people, sure. uh, but the colonial sort of presence in Canada was first the French and then the English. And so there's these two weird archetypes uh, that exist bet- between the, the French and the English, and they are the voyageur, which is the sort of French uh, fur trader who's like out in the canoe exploring <laughs> the Canadian wilderness. And then there's the lumberman. And the lumberman, many of the, the, the early lumberjacks were actually French uh, and indigenous for that matter. But there's this idea uh, in the Canadian consciousness that the lumbermen were somehow – English and the voyagers were French, and there's this rich mythology. There's all these crazy lumberjack stories uh, in Canada, uh, and then there's also all these amazing voyageur stories as well. I want to kind of do a lumberman voyageur uh, series, and I think by sort of unpacking those two characters and getting into all the weird legends around those two characters, you can also maybe understand a little something about the dynamics between French and English Canada. Oh, um, yeah. So that's an that's an idea that I have. And and in the in the kind of same vein as what I was talking about with Ireland, would that kind of would say the French Canadians would they identify themselves more as the voyageurs or and the and the the English kind of speaking population would identify themselves more as lumberjacks or is that taking it way too far? <laughs> well, I, it it might be. I mean, it depends uh, which French Canadian you're sort of speaking to, but I think the stereotypes out there are that, you know, that English Canadians sometimes like to sort of see themselves as uh, these sort of tough guys and like to uh, unfairly stereotype the French as being somehow more uh, a feat, right? right. Uh, which is uh, which is completely untrue. And the French actually see it the other way around. They're like, no, we were the original colonial presence here. We, we, were, we were the ones that like, you know, went out in the canoes with the uh, – early in, with the indigenous people and like kind of made this country. So <laughs> don't, don't like look down your nose at us. Um, and I mean, that's just a tiny taste of the, you know, giant world of tension between <laughs> French and English Canada. Yeah. We're actually at a, we're actually at a nice spot with that right now in our country. Uh, oh, I mean, good. I'm sure, I'm sure you, you might get a French Canadian listener, you know, chiming in being like, uh, Sebastian is overlooking, you know, continued tensions. But uh, there there was a period of time where it looked like uh, Quebec was going to separate from the rest of Canada. There was an independence movement. There still is an independence movement. I shouldn't say it's gone, Um, but it's it seems to have lost a lot of uh, the political will that was once behind it. So I feel as though we're at sort of a a better moment between French and English uh, relations in Canada at the moment. 
Okay, good. Well, that's that's always good to hear. I mean, yeah. nice to have some good news for once. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so, I mean, you mentioned there that you're a history teacher, which I've, I've always loved the idea that some, I mean, I'm kind of trying to do it the opposite way. I'm being a podcaster, a history podcaster, and then my aim is to teach history. But you're doing it the opposite way. You put, I don't know if you could put the cart before the horse, or maybe you had the cart and then you got the, I don't know what way to use that analogy here. But in any case, yeah. you, you teach history and then you become a history podcaster. How does that work? Actually, no, maybe to break it down. What is it like? <laughs> what is it like to teach history where you are, say? Yeah, sure. Okay, so... In Ontario, uh, every every high school student has to take at least one history course. And I wish it was more, but you only have to take one. And that is 20th century Canadian history. Uh. Um, and so and that that course is basically about World War One, World War Two. And if you get through all of that, plus the interwar years, you, you've kind of done well in that course. Mm. Uh, the course, when you really when you really kill that course, you're able to like take it all the way till really pretty much the 1980s in Canada. Yeah, so I mean that's that's the the idea. But it's obviously, I mean, you look at something as complex as World War One. I. I don't need to tell you, you did a massive uh, series on World War One. <laughs> it's massive. very <laughs> yeah, it's very easy to get to get bogged down in the wars because they're so mm. complex and also so interesting, right? There's so uh, there's there's such dramatic moments in the world's uh, past that you know it's it's hard not to get stuck there. But it's also important that the kids know what happened throughout the rest of the 20th century. Of course. Um, but but actually, 20th century history isn't really my favorite, and uh, I think people that listen to my show might have noticed that like 20th century topics are pretty few and far between on my show. There's been a couple, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm more interested in, uh, in the deeper past. Mm-hmm. So there, there are a bunch of elective courses that you can also take as a, as a high school student in, uh, in Ontario. So you can take uh, courses on ancient history. Uh, there's a really fun course um, called uh, – uh, the West and the World, which is sort of um, history of – it's supposed to be the history of the world, but it, it ends up getting kind of Europe-focused despite attempts <clears throat> to break it out of that from the Renaissance basically to World War I. Uh, that's my favorite course. That's sort of – that's the stuff that I'm really uh, excited about and interested in. Okay. Um, yeah. You can also take an American history course. And uh, and right now there's this big move to uh, bring in more history of uh, indigenous people uh, into the curriculum. So uh, there's sort of a new Aboriginal studies, indigenous studies course uh, in the uh, Canadian curriculum. Okay, cool. Sounds very well rounded, very well rounded altogether by the sounds of things. I mean, if you're someone that's interested in history, then there are options for you. But what a lot of times what ends up happening is the kids take that one grade 10 history course and then they drop it. And Aww. so it's like they know about World War II and to them World War II is history. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I can understand that, I suppose. I mean, it's very much the same over here, except it's like, uh, what, what I'd say, the famine in the 1840s. That's when right. it kind of starts. And then you've got like, the kind of period of revolution, 1916, and then the War of Independence. Maybe the First World War is sprinkled in there, if you're lucky, and then the Second World War, and that's kind of the end of it then. <laughs> right, so, right. Well, yeah. I guess because Ireland's independence movement sort of overlaps with World War One, I, mm. I guess in Ireland the, the independence movement kind of gets more, uh, more airtime. Yeah, very much so. But, I mean... I suppose I, there's, I mean, we can talk about this later. Actually, no, wait. Let's let's talk about it now. I mean, one of the questions I wanted to ask you. It sounds obvious now, considering your profession, but it was how important is history to you? And I know that's a fairly open-ended question. You can go yeah. all sorts of ways with that. But I always like hearing people's reactions because it's something I try to ask each guest I have on for a collaboration. So, how important is history to you, Mister Major? <laughs> I would say pretty important. That is a huge question. It's something that I've always been passionate about. It's uh, it's something that you know from a young age. It was uh, 
it was something I gravitated to. Um, and I think if you're someone that gets deep into history, and I'm sure you can relate to this, sure. you start getting this weird completist thing where you're like, <laughs> okay, I, I now I now feel like I understand the history of my own country. Okay, now I feel like I understand the history of like m- the colonial ancestors of my country. Oh, okay. Now I need to understand the history of the entire world. And, (laughs) you know, there's that you just like you find yourself like, oh, there's eras that I don't know enough about. I I need to go deeper there or there are are geographic regions that I need to know more about. And I know right now I'm I'm I feel like the show has done a disservice to places like the continent of Africa and huge parts of Asia that I, I haven't really especially India that I haven't really talked about it all uh i i want to i i i also you know i think it's important that we understand that you know um the history of the world is more than just uh the history of europe and north america Mm. uh which is so often we kind of just you know fall into that old in that old rut and and my show is actually just as guilty of it as uh as as anyone else's i i i find myself sort of gravitating back to these european or North American topics. And so I have to actively try and push myself out of that. Sure. But sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm on a tangent, but... No, uh, <laughs> I think that question's kind of designed to bring people on tangents, so it's not really Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but I do think it's important that people uh, understand the past. Um, yeah. I think, I think being able to understand the past makes you a, makes you a more critical thinker and makes you better able to um, to understand the present. Mm. And um, I don't. Sometimes, sometimes I, I I get kind of annoyed by the idea of uh, you know the, the he who does not understand history is doomed to repeat it because <laughs> I don't think it's that simple. No. Um, and I I don't really think that history repeats itself. But isn't there that that old uh, Mark Twain quote that like uh, history doesn't always repeat itself, but sometimes it rhymes? Uh-huh, and, yeah, <laughs> and that's I I do agree with that. I yeah I don't think I don't think history repeats itself. I think I, I think that the the deeper you get into studying history, the more you just become so aware that every moment has its own unique factors that sort of made it mm. and. And and to think that those exact same factors could pop up again, I think it misunderstands how human beings work. We're just there's so much randomness in the human experience. But yeah. with that said, but with that said, I also think that understanding the story or understanding, you know, how we got to where we are just helps you helps you see through some of the bullshit of your own times. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think it's incredibly important. I think we need to understand the past. I think everyone should at least have a working understanding of history in the same way that I think that everyone should have a working understanding of geography. Because without it, you're just lost at sea. And things just seem completely random. And with an understanding of history, at least it gives you context. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, it matters to me. <laughs> yeah, cool. No, that's good. That's It's interesting because for our uh, for our five-year birthday project that we did where we released two episodes every day for five weeks uh, was a bit mad. But one of the things I did in that at the very beginning of it was I had this episode saying why history is important and I kind of I ran through all the usual ones that, like, people... I ran through the usual reasons people give, like, oh, it teaches critical learning skills, and uh, it, it roots us in the present and everything, and it, it helps us know where we came from and how bad things were and, and all that kind of thing. And, and I was I would always argue that, yes, that's true, but I would also look to the criticisms of it as well, like the fact that people often say, oh, history's really boring, or... My least favorite one of all time, which is, oh, history is just a load of dates. Like, oh, oh yeah, no, oh. no way. <laughs> <laughs> makes me makes me shudder to think that, like, like I was able to get how many hours, fifteen hours or something of content or more out of a month 
in history in the July Crisis project. I was able to get like stupid amount of time out of that, and and yeah. similarly with other periods of history as well. I've milked them till literally not even the cows come home, but till there's no more cows left to milk. So when people <laughs> are like, when people are like, oh, there's just dates. I'm like, seriously, get, like context is so important. And then when you see what the context is you're better you're better equipped to kind of tell a story and history really is stories and yes. to me it can't be dull because human beings by their very nature are not dull and right. you, human beings by their very nature can teach us so much like even if you look at like some of the really important figures and their different traits and their different flaws and all that kind of thing and we can learn so much from them and even then it's it's just as entertaining or just as as kind of uh, as fascinating to learn about that as it is I feel to learn a language but anyway I always yeah, no. manage, uh, I always do this I always ask the person the question and then I go on a tangent myself because no no man yeah. I hear you no that's the thing I I'm so with you when people say history is boring it's like do you think that like human experience is boring yeah <laughs> there's so many amazing things that have happened and yeah. so many weird, and that's the other thing that I, with my show I always end up kind of gravitating to these weird things that have also mm. happened, right? These sort of things that that sort of defy explanation in some ways. And uh, that to me is endlessly fascinating. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I agree with you, you know, deeply there that, you know, another really important reason why why people should learn history is that it gives you a deeper understanding of what it is to be a human. Yeah. And uh, I think that that, you know, helps us, exist <laughs> mm, yeah it does it absolutely does and uh yeah i mean uh, from that we could go we can i could ask you this question and don't worry it's a lot more straightforward <laughs> oh, good. okay no i'm enjoying this <laughs> so you you are a big fan of history you are a big uh like you're in history's corner so to speak so what would you say to people that kind of i don't know if this is happening in canada so much but you touched on it briefly how like History is being kind of, you can take it up, it's optional, you can drop an elective, you can take up, like, there's a core module, that kind of thing. How would you feel for, like, towards the people that argue that, oh, history should be not, like, it shouldn't be, like, essential, you shouldn't have to do it, compulsory, it shouldn't be compulsory as a subject to do, you should be able to drop it just as you'd, like, drop, I don't know, whatever other optional subjects there are out there, I'm not really sure how it works in Canada, but over here you take, you take, Traditionally, until you do your junior cert, which is when you're about 15, 16 in age, until until you're at that stage, you take literally every subject and you get a, like a light enough introductory course to them. But over yeah. here in Ireland, there's a kind of movement to kind of remove the likes of history, the kind of arts subjects that get a bad rep yeah. because they're not seen as there's no utilitarian value to them. Like, let's just teach people science and maths and all that kind of thing. And that's that. And I'm kind of thinking like... It's just so kind of I don't know North Korean for lack of a better term. You just <laughs> you just teach people like all these really scientific things, and yes, they're important. I mean, obviously, science and maths are important because you need to be able to understand how the world works. But what about the people who lived through that world? And I, I would just I suppose it's a very very roundabout way of asking you the question of how you would feel about people that say, "Oh, we need to kind of remove history from the curriculum," and people don't really need to learn it. Great question. One of my favorite all-time quotes about education um, comes from Hannah Arendt. Hannah mm. Arendt, you know, great 20th century philosopher. Origins uh, of totalitarianism, was that her? That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's her. That's her. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Hannah Arendt said, and I actually got this quote from one of my favorite history teachers when I was in grade 12. Huh. Uh, his name was, his name was uh, Atul Ball. So, Mr. Ball, if you're out there listening, if you're a When Diplomacy Fails fan, <laughs> uh, this one came from you, and uh, he, he would start his class with it, and I've now uh, incorporated it into my classes. Cool. But Hannah, Hannah Arendt said that education is the point in life where we decide if we love the world enough to take responsibility for it. Ooh. And that has always really resonated with me, that the, the point of education is to learn enough about the world and the human experience to decide whether or not you're going to step up and be one of the people who will guide the world into the next era. Mm. And, and for me, learning to love the world is part of that is 
you have to know the world's story. Yeah. And a way that you learn the world's story is through courses like history. It's mm. through courses like geography. It's through courses like English or whatever language you're speaking, literature, any type of literature studies. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's through courses like philosophy. These courses tell you the story of humanity. And it's through those courses that you get to decide whether or not you love the world enough to take responsibility for it. Uh, obviously, subjects like, you know, math, uh, science, uh, what else would be sort of in that vein? You get the idea. Those subjects are extremely important because they give us the tools that we may need to make the world a better place. But they don't teach us or they don't give us the tools to be able to love the world. No. Um, and so that's that's why I think it's so important. That's why I think it needs to be part of the curriculum because it's opening up the learner to the idea of what they're working for. Yeah. Right? Good, good. Okay. Very, very comprehensive answer. And I just like to add to that. <laughs> yeah. I just like to add to that. It's it's kind of when you talk about like responsibility for the world and everything, I think I might be interpreting this wrong, but when I think of Hannah Arendt and I think of her her book on the origins of totalitarianism, I think I read it about five or six years ago, but it was very kind of haunting and harrowing in places. And I yeah. think her kind of experience from saying people need to kind of take responsibility and kind of stand up for, I mean, what's right, for, I suppose. For justice, but, yeah, for yeah, justice. Yeah, and having, having surrounded herself in all those horrible eras of human history with the rise of totalitarianism in its various forms, I mean, who better to to advise us? It just strikes me as very kind of fitting that someone who was so deep in that kind of that kind of stuff would really say to us, look, there's a danger here if we're not aware of where we came from and what we've learned that I know I was just going to say there that we might repeat our, we might repeat our mistakes, but maybe we might do them again, but in a different way. How about that? <laughs> yes. No, yeah, I know. No, don't get me wrong. I do believe, <laughs> I know I just came down hard on the, on that one side of it, but I do believe, <laughs> I actually do believe that, you know, especially when it comes to uh, recent history, and I, I count the last 100 years as recent history, that, you know, um, especially in terms of, you know, government and ways in which. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Government can uh, can go sour. To put it mildly, I guess, <laughs> I think our history can really at least at least remind us of how bad things can get if yeah. we're not if we're not vigilant and careful and thoughtful and um, willing to step up and and and, uh, and and put ourselves on the line when uh, when when the when the times call for it. 
Yeah. I don't know. That that sounded more harrowing than I, I meant it to be, but, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's all good. But I want to I wanna take a different step now before we start kind of going to war or something in the name of history. Uh, how about How about this kind of yet more straightforward question? Where did the idea for your show come from? Okay, so this, it actually came from one of my history classes. I was teaching, uh, I forget which course, I think it was the grade 10, 20th century history course. You know, you don't have time sometimes to get into really complicated things like the Russian Revolution, say. Yeah. And so I was kind of like, we, we kind of needed to breeze through it. So I was sort of giving the kids kind of a, a quick little crash course in, in, uh, in 1917. But I thought, okay, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll give them a break and I'll tell them the crazy story of Rasputin and Rasputin's assassination. Yeah. So, you know, I, I love, I love telling stories. And so I get going really explaining, you know, all the crazy things that are said to have happened around Rasputin's assassination. And I'm sort of acting it out for them. (laughs) And then one of my students puts up his hand and he's like, um, Hey, uh, isn't that just a myth? And he kind of stopped me in my tracks, and I was like, oh, well, you know what? I, th- that's the story that I know, yeah. but you know what? I'm not sure, and maybe it's wrong that I'm, you know, spouting it as real history in this classroom. <laughs> and uh, and I, I hadn't really done all the homework I could have on that. So I was like, you know what? Great question. So that night I went home, and I, uh, I did some research, and – Turns out we were both kind of right. Uh, the story that I was telling uh, was sort of the accepted story of Rasputin's death, uh, but there were lots of reasons to believe that you know it may have been made up by one mm. of the assassins, or it may have been exaggerated. Um, and then there were lots of little details that got added to it after the fact that it sort of dressed it up and made it more mythological. And uh, and so I was like, you know what, this is a good lesson. So I sort of took the materials that I was using and sort of brought them back to the class. And we did a, a whole exercise on how do you pick fact from fiction in the historical record, especially when you have uh, such a fantastic story like um, like the assassination of Rasputin. And so it was a real it was a real learning moment. I was like, you know what? I was talking to my wife about it after. And I was like, that was so great. That was one of the best history classes I think I've taught this year. Um <laughs> And I'm like, this, this could be a great podcast. This is interesting. Like for the hook to be the crazy story, Mm. right? The wild thing that happened. And then for the sort of follow up to be historical detective work. I don't think I know anyone else out there that's, that's really doing the, uh, the history podcast genre like that. So yeah, I'm going to try it. And so I, I said about, uh, writing a bunch of episodes, and I, I basically wrote episodes for um, about half a year before I, I started recording and then releasing them. And uh, yeah, now two two years ago, I, I released my first episode, and uh, here we are today. <laughs> here you are today, at the pinnacle of your fame, one could say. Yes, yes, <laughs> at the pinnacle. Yes, yeah, the, the downhill run hasn't started quite yet, but uh, yeah, yes. yeah. Very good, very good. I always love hearing where people got the idea for their shows because when I started in May 2012, there was, I mean, you could count on two hands, really, the number of history podcasts, and there was kind yeah. of these these looming giants in the background. Funnily enough, yeah. I, didn't actually, I didn't actually know about Dan Carlin uh, oh, really? until, until I was about a year in. I don't know how he just kind of was under my radar. I don't really know how I... I missed him out, but my big thing was the history of Rome, and then it was yeah. the, his- the history of England then, and then it just kind of exploded from there. But yeah, I mean, it's great that there's such a there's such a wealth of history podcasts now. I was talking to, I don't know if you know him, but he's a history podcast kind of blogger. Back in the day, he used to review podcasts all the time, and he's still he's still doing it he's he's kind of he's doing this new series now called uh Anne is a grumpy man his name he's he's a he's a dutch guy his name is Anne, or anna is the best way to pronounce his name but he he does a history podcasts blog and 
I, I really found it interesting. I was able to kind of kind of have an injury with him and he was asking me about how I got into it and all that kind of thing. But he was saying how much history podcasting has changed over the last even five or six years, how the technology has really helped people. Because like we take it for granted mm. now. I mean, I don't know what your whole process is, but I know you like to add in music and that kind of thing, which is great. Yeah. And I try to do my my own take on that too. But I mean, back in the day, adding even like making your podcast into an MP3 file was like a struggle in of itself. And like hosting, <laughs> like hosting, just forget about it. Like it was yeah. very, very tough. So we're very fortunate now. I think I just got in at just the right time when technology was starting to get better, but that it wasn't so it, it wasn't so kind of complicated anymore. I mean, it was still it still took me a while to get to grips with it. And sometimes it still does. But yeah, it was it was just really nice to know that. Now we're at this stage where if you have an idea or you have a show that you want to pursue, you're not held back by technology. No, no, it's it is a a deeply democratic platform. Uh, <laughs> you know, all all comers can can throw their hat in the ring. I think now you know to set yourself apart, you've just got to have an interesting angle, or you yeah. need to be, or you need to be a particularly. Um, good storyteller you need to be able to sort of offer a perspective that you know people aren't getting otherwise and also you know people like different things in their history podcasts like um i like the one voice telling me a story um that's and that's what my show is like i I, there's lots of shows that sort of do the like we're just two or three buddies hanging out and we're just going to kind of riff on this stuff for a little bit Mm. And uh, and a lot of people really love that. A lot of people like that sort of conversational style that sure. um, that a lot of shows have. That those aren't my favorite though, to be honest. And I'm not trying to uh, you know uh, shoot down anyone out there that's doing Ooh. that. I mean, that. There might be <laughs> hey, I know, there might be some people out there that are like that's like my show. Yeah. Oh man, Fashion Major just totally you know took a dump on our show. What a jerk. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but. But I think I mean I, I mean if there if there are people out there listening who are like you know what I I want to start a history podcast the the technology is there to make a good sounding polished feeling yeah. product for relatively cheap the trick is finding an interesting angle an interesting topic mm. and an interesting way in and uh and that's and that's how also you'll start sort of building a um a fan base you know what mm. people people that like you Zach i think you know you you have kind of gotten a reputation for being an excellent researcher you know hmm. you you go really deep um and fastidious in your uh in your collection of sources oh, and God, yeah. uh <laughs> yeah no without a doubt without a doubt and i think that's something that people that are into history podcasts uh they gravitate to you because of that because they're like you know this guy really does his homework and you also give a very uh balanced appraisal of your topics and i think after a while people just get to like you as a presenter you know mm-hmm. and i and i think people that kind of gravitate to me i i try to do good research don't get me wrong i try to i don't i don't want to lead people astray and and uh, and give them sort of crappy historical research uh i do a lot of research for these shows but i think um you know, people that are kind of gravitate to my show like something that's a little more, uh, I guess, where storytelling is sort of uh, is a bit more forward in, sure. in the in the in the style. So yeah. and the people that don't like my show don't like it because they don't like me. Right. Like, really? and I, I they not. Oh, you're so likable, though. What? I'm not just I'm not just saying <laughs> well, that's that. That's what I, like what, what? Like, do they not like your? Do they not like your hair? Or like, what? yeah, I don't no, really well, get that. The thing is, like, I mean, I throw in lots of like, I throw in jokes and I, I throw in the music and I've got like a sometimes conversational style that I use when I'm uh, when I'm talking about certain things and I like to make it really clear when I'm I'm sharing my opinion, but I also share my opinion like mm-hmm. all the time on the show and for some people that really puts them off they're like this guy's not as funny as he thinks he is i don't need your dumb opinions when it comes to my history and uh, just give me the goods give me the facts and uh and i know i know i mean i think uh, the people that stick with me they like they like my style and they don't mind my jokes you know they they enjoy that what what i'm what i'm doing there sure Uh, but uh 
but there is there is a uh, uh, a part of the podcast, especially the history podcast audience, mm. that likes their history like straight up, you know, black coffee, no milk, you know. Oh yeah. And uh, that's not me. That's not me. There's uh, there's other places you can go to get that. Yeah, there is. <laughs> the back of some dusty library or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Honestly, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, like, I. When I started out and I used to take everything to heart, it was, I mean, it's not so bad now. I, I'm thankfully in the position where I don't get too much criticism. And a lot of the time I can just let it wash over me with, well, with some exceptions. But there was a few times, <laughs> yeah, there was a few times when people were like just unnecessarily mean or something. And I'm kind of like, and a few times when people are like, stop making jokes and stop trying to be sarcastic and stop giving your opinion. Yeah. You're kind of like, do you want to just literally, I'll just read from a book. How about that? I read from a book and I don't tell you anything about how I'm thinking or anything. And yeah, yeah I know. Right. Like, I mean, there's sometimes, there's sometimes when I just kind of go like, ah, well, welcome to the internet, you know, yeah. like <laughs> this is, you know, this, this is, this is how it works. And there's another time when people are, uh, I mean, again, I'm, I, I, it's funny because like, you know, for every, you know, nine really, really nice, wonderful things that people will send. And like, you know, I'm always amazed at how gracious and how sweet listeners are. I'm, yeah. I'm always blown away by that. Uh, yeah, I don't want to make it sound like I'm just getting these like reams of hate mail. Because uh, <laughs> that's not I'll, true. I'll stop sending that's, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, Zach. Stinker. Uh, yeah, no, but... Uh, no, no. I, I, the thing is that I think if you're someone that's just putting yourself out there mm. uh, and you're making a show that's, uh, you know, th these shows are our babies, you know, mm. you, you care so much about them that, you know, if you look at your iTunes review page and it's like, you know, full of five star reviews. And then there's that one guy who's like, this guy sucks. Yeah. He's not funny. <laughs> yeah. oh, I, and I, I hate your music. I hate your music. Oh, stop. Like, it's funny because again, that's like one out of like literally dozens. Yeah. But somehow it somehow it sticks with you. Yeah. But yeah. I I would like to say that I'm like, oh, water off a duck's back, man. Like I don't care. Yeah. All good. But but uh, because these things are our babies and because these are things that we care about, uh, sometimes they they stick with you a little bit. Mm. But but all that said, the majority, the vast majority of the of the feedback that I get, and I'm sure the feedback you get is so lovely is so warm it's people uh, sharing their own sort of local history stories with me yeah it's people people telling me you know um about their lives and like you know how the podcast has fit into their life and and you know potentially how it's sort of brought them through you know difficult times people who who have uh, who have serious illnesses have have reached out to me and sort of talked to me about like you know being bedridden and and just listening to history podcasts and that sort of helping them, you know, get through that that incredibly difficult time in their life, and you know, that stuff is so moving. Yeah, that, I mean, it really, it, ultimately, that that is that is the stuff that you really you really take away with you, and you do. And that's yeah. the, that's the stuff that matters, you know. Mm. At the end of the day, I mean, like it's amazing, isn't it, to think that we're like we're just got. I mean, we were talking uh, over over Facebook the other day, the two of us, and. I was telling you that story about how that guy said that he was listening to your podcast just kind of out of the blue, but it's amazing. Yeah. We're just we're just guys speaking into microphones, and yet thanks, <laughs> thanks to the internet, one great thing about the internet, like he can, this guy Matthew can like hear your podcast in in Ireland when you're in in deepest darkest Canada, and he can just <laughs> he can just listen in, and you know it's 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 great. It's it's really really good. I just. I feel so privileged, I think, privileged and honored and just so thankful that we're able to be part of something like this, especially when, I mean, no, unfortunately, no kind of big time academic has really stepped in and said, hey, look, podcasting is the way to go. History podcasts are the best. You should listen to these history podcasts. I mean, I am noticing a, a slow, a, a gradual uptick in academics joining the kind of bandwagon, so to speak. But yeah. at the same time, I think there can be no denying history podcasting is expanding and it's reaching oh, yeah. more and more people. And I think for us to be at the forefront of that is just it's amazing to see. And at the end of the day, like when diplomacy fails is uh, motto, if you like, is where history thrives. And it's just great to see history literally thriving because of people like us who are saying, no, 
you know, the history curriculum is not sufficient on the history channel is is the drizzling uh, <laughs> drizzle. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah so, man, don't get me started. Yeah. Oh, I know. So here are people like us, like standing in and we are to, to go back to your favorite quote. We are showing responsibility and we are showing that we do, in fact, love the world and we want people to hear these stories because they're important. And I think that's great. Yeah. And not only are they important, they're fun. Yes, they are fun. Yeah. People, people, I mean, my wife even looks at me sideways when, when she's like, what are you going to do today or something? And I'm kind of like, oh, do you know what? I think I'm just going to relax with this good book. And she kind of is yeah. like, what is the matter with you? Or like she even sees me yeah. sitting here surrounded. You mentioned sources earlier. If you could see through my eyes right now. I mean, <laughs> at my desk, I have three individual stacks of books on three individual uh, subjects I'm going to be doing. And I think my computer is sagging with the amount of articles I have that, yeah, it's mad. No, man, but... <laughs> I, doff, I doff my cap to you because, you know, that, and I, as I said before, you know, your your research is uh, exceptional. And uh, but and also you're, you, you do things like you uh, – You'll take on like really obscure topics or topics that are obscure, I think, to uh, a lot of English speakers like uh, like the Swedish, the years of Swedish expansion. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, I mean, and I, I love that. I love that because that's, you know, again, for the, the history completist yeah. uh, out there, it's like, <laughs> oh, man, like, yeah, I did know that Sweden at one point had this this run of sort of dominating northern mm. Europe, but I don't really know the story. And, yeah. Thankfully, Zach Twomley's on the scene. <laughs> yeah, my Swedish listeners really appreciate it. My Danish ones, maybe not so much, but there you ah. go. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. No, there you know. It's it's all great. It's amazing again to think that my my stuff is reaching people in Scandinavia, people who don't even have English as a second language. I remember the the thing that stands out to me the most. It was, and I think I was only a month or two into podcasting at this stage, but. This doctor in Brazil sent me an email and it was actually in my spam folder for a while. And I didn't read because, you know, you get an email from a Brazilian doctor. You're like, yeah, right. Of course. I yeah, need to yeah, yeah. But then I read it and then I was like, <laughs> oh, OK, it's actually legitimate. He was saying that he's uh, he's learning using my history podcast to teach him English. Which, if you oh, wow. knew, if you knew about my, like, this was like 2012, man. I mean, and if if you knew my my use of language back then, you would be like, well, maybe you shouldn't be using me to teach you English, kind of thing. I but, really, yeah. really hope that this Brazilian <laughs> doctor has an Irish accent <laughs> by the end of it. You know, yeah. I that that would there'd be nothing more happy or make me more happy than that. That's just uh, that's beautiful. But that's so cool. I love that. I love yeah, that. I I was just worried that like instead of just using normal language, he'd start being like thanks to people. <laughs> just, think, just think that that was the right way to say thank you. I'd just be worried about that. But yeah, uh, yeah, Twomleyism. <laughs> yeah, Twomley is a weird surname. Let's let's yeah. uh, let's just say. I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, I I was tempted to ask you. I mean, is there any I mean, this is this is throwing you away in the deep end, but have you thought of like more kind of specific topics? I mean, you're on Patreon, you've got you got a, a good horde of patrons there. I mean, has anyone really asked you to look into maybe like their family's myths or their family's history or anything like that? No one, no, no one's ever asked me that. So I just did a, a thing with my Patreon uh, subscribers where uh, when we hit our first Patreon goal. I let them suggest topics to me, and then we we voted on what topics uh, we wanted. Sure. So they, p- people suggested topics, and then I kind of I was sort of the arbiter of the election. So I got to pick of those <laughs> suggestions. I picked like the top my my top five, yeah. uh, and then I let people then vote on those top five topics. And uh, the people had chosen Vlad the Impaler as uh, our next sort of Patreon topic. So actually. When I'm done with you today, I'm just going to be putting the finishing touches on my Vlad the Impaler episode, and then that's ah. going to be a, a special extra for um, for my my Patreon subscribers. But I do have a bunch of I do have a bunch of topics uh, in the bank. I've I've kind of been uh, uh, building them up for for my next season. So I just sort of uh, ended my second season of Our Fake History. The third season begins on September 12th. So some topics that, I, I, as I said before, I want to start looking at uh, the Robin Hood legends. Um, I want, I do want to do some topics about Africa. So I've been uh, researching uh, the Zulus, Shaka Zulu. Oh yes, very good. Yeah, yeah, and then also um, uh, a king from what's now Mali named Manu Massa, 
or Masamanu. I'm, I've got to double check that. Anyway, he he was sort of the gold king of of Africa, and there's all these stories about him making this pilgrimage to Mecca and along the way just spreading around so much gold that like he basically disrupted the local economies with the, the <laughs> amount of the amount of gold he was wow. pumping in. That's some stuff I've been looking at. Um, God, there's oh yeah, I want to look at uh, Helena Blavatsky. Ever heard of Blavatsky? No, Russian, Polish. Yeah, she is Russian, but so that episode's going to be called uh, "Who Was the Mother of the Occult?" Okay. And uh, she was this uh, 19th century mystic, I'll say, uh, who invented her own religion. So uh, her religion was called Theosophy, and she also invented this her own sort of pseudo history to sort of go along with her sort of uh, spiritual beliefs. Now, some right. of this stuff was, was terribly, terribly racist and got picked <laughs> up by, uh, got picked up by the Nazis. Cause there's all this stuff in it about there being sort of this, this master race. Um, oh. She also, yeah, she also sort of spoke about Atlantis. Uh, so she kind of, but, but also she was incorporating uh, all of this stuff from Hinduism and Buddhism and uh, you know, Eastern spirituality so it's weird. So she had this whole idea that there was this master race that was on Atlantis that sort of, <laughs> were, yeah, that basically invented this sort of true religion. And then after Atlantis sank into the sea, all of these people ended up in Tibet. And from there, Tibet became the sort of center of world religion. I and see. then from there, they sort of spread out. So it's, it's, it's bananas. It's completely yeah. made up. It's, uh, it's a whole and, bowl and, of fruit. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah, man. Uh, and but it's it's really fascinating, and she's sort of an interesting figure in her own right. But again, you got to be careful with stuff like that because I don't want people uh, coming away from that being like you're celebrating, you know, the mother of white supremacy. And uh, <laughs> it's like, no, no, thank you. Uh, no, I, I, I'm so I, that's so not me. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know how much more you could. Uh, I could, I could, I could emphasize that's that, just you know, what a white supremacist would say. I know, right? No, I mean, I find that stuff so repellent. I, I couldn't, I can't even tell you. I but, know. but mind you, I am fascinated by by these sort of odd characters, and especially an odd character that took it upon themselves to create an alternate history for planet Earth. Yeah. So, you know, there you go. There's some stuff. Well, you mentioned being careful there. Is is there any myths that you would just studiously <laughs> avoid for fear of maybe insulting or offending? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, people <laughs> ask people ask all the time for Hitler stuff. Uh, people, yeah. people want to know this, and there's a lot of there's a lot of mythology or just legends uh, around Adolf Hitler. I am so afraid of taking that on. Because I don't want people to misunderstand me. Um, because by sort of taking on the the myths of of Adolf Hitler, you get dangerously close to this world of people that will say that the Holocaust was a myth, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I you know, I don't want to. I do do not want to get anywhere near that world, you know. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I, I almost just want to leave that topic be uh, just because it's like, no, you know what? Like there because there is this there is this whole world out there that, that says that huge, huge events that took place during the Second World War and in the 1930s and the 1940s in Europe didn't happen that that, you know, six million people weren't killed in the Holocaust. And yeah. uh, I mean, and that's, you know, th that that belief is so disgusting. Yes. But, yeah. but, but, you know, but but those people present themselves similarly to how I present myself, which kind of scares me. Right. Where these people go like, oh, no, we're just doing like the real historical research. We're separating fact from fiction. And actually, this whole thing we think of that as the Holocaust was actually something that was invented by uh, the the media at a time to besmirch Germany's reputation. Yeah. This is completely ridiculous and completely untrue and, you know, you know, flies in the face of, you know, 
how we perceive reality. I mean, I don't know how you can believe that while there are still, you know, well, there are Holocaust survivors with, with tattoos on their arms, you yeah, know, like I, know. I, but, but so, I mean, that's, I think I've kind of made it clear where I come down, <laughs> where I come down on that stuff. But I mean, Hey, now it's out there. You're going to put this out and people are going to know like, you know, Sebastian is uh, not, not into, not into the Holocaust denier scene. That's yeah. okay. That can be out there that I'm very much opposed to that kind of crap. But, but by doing a Hitler myth show, mm. you're getting dangerously close to that. Cause there are, things about him that got put out there that weren't true. Like there's lots of stuff about his sexuality that got kind of brought up. There's also all the stories about him potentially escaping and like moving, heading to South America that might be interesting yeah. to sort of explore. But, but I almost don't want to do it because as soon as you open up the door for like, well, there's these lies about Hitler. Then you get all these other people being like, damn right. There's lies about Hitler. There's all sorts, and so I just ooh, it scares me. It's <laughs> it scares me. I just almost, I just. So there you go. That's one that I'm just like so afraid to touch. Yeah. You know, lest lest my intention be misunderstood as sort of justifying something truly disgusting and horrible. Mm -hmm. I actually saw in your Twitter there someone literally just asked you. Yeah, yeah, and you were like, I need to build up my courage. So that's, that's yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I thought about actually doing a a show on uh, on Stalin, and oh, I, yeah. I figure if, figure if I can do a Stalin show, then maybe <laughs> then maybe I'll have the courage to take on uh, Hitler one of these days. But you know, Stalin is another one of these figures that, um, depending on where you're learning your history and who you're learning your history from, has a very different historical reputation mm. and um, you know he, he's one of those people that has has gone down as uh, one of the great monsters of the 20th century for some very good reasons but then there's still this whole uh you know a uh, countercurrent out there that's like well he wasn't that bad yeah uh, and uh, yeah yeah and it's and it's it's interesting God. and i don't know if you saw and again, I know we're going, we are deep in the weeds here, man. But uh, <laughs> uh, Oliver Stone just put out his history documentary, this is series of history documentaries on Netflix uh, called, uh, it was like The Untold History of the United States. Oh, I don't know right. if you saw that. It's, okay. it's, real, it's really interesting. And I, I do think people should watch it. But it comes with uh, uh, Oliver Stone's personal biases baked deep into it and so he's someone that you know he's he's left of center very pretty actually quite left of center and uh he he's basically kind of going like look there's people that we hold up as heroes that perhaps we're not heroes like he really gives uh, harry s truman a really hard time and basically takes him to task for dropping the atomic bombs and mm. uh and having a history of racism and all this other stuff and he also takes on a number of sort of key sort of political figures in uh in, in America's history and, and, and really takes them to task, many of which, and, and, and a lot of times it's like, yeah, man, that's an, an important point to make. The one thing that kind of drove me nuts about his documentary series was uh, how he treated Stalin. He really lets him off the hook, oh, I think. Yeah. So I, I'm all for, you know, like, let's be super critical about um, our past and let's let's dig into the traditional narrative and uh, perhaps expose some people that we've sort of held up as heroes and, and be real about, you know, perhaps how complicated or how unsavory they could sometimes be. But to do that and then be like, oh, Stalin wasn't such a bad guy mm. is uh, to, me, to me is is um, really, really letting your your biases blind you in a lot of ways. So uh, and that's not to say that. That I don't have my own biases because I certainly do, uh, but but I think I think you know it's just important to recognize your biases. Of course, and they're going to be there. They're going to be in the mix, but just sort of uh, not not letting them like you know take you down like a weird path like that. Anyway, yeah, yeah. All righty. Ah. What do you think of that? Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed it. I had a great time. In fact, I will go. As far as saying, this is probably the most fun I've had doing a collaboration episode. I mean, 
it's definitely up there in the top five. That's for sure. I really did. I learned a lot about Sebastian Major. I have a newfound respect for him and it didn't even feel like I was talking to a podcaster. It felt like I was talking to an old friend or a new friend because he's not that old. I don't know how old he is. I'm sure he's very young. Anyway, this is just to remind you guys, this is just the first part of two and the second part will be looking at the last siege of Vienna, which, yeah, by the way, is the main reason I got him on in the first place. So if you can wait until next Wednesday, then make sure you do and make sure you join us for the second part then. But if you cannot wait, then you should know that patrons from $2 and up will get the two pieces of the collaboration episode straight away. So make sure to visit patreon.com forward slash windowplomacyveils if you are interested. Alrighty guys, that is the collaboration episode for this week. See you next week, or see you in a few seconds, depending on your patience levels. You guys are great. My name is Zach, and you've been listening to Windowplomacy Fails, a collaboration with Sebastian Major. Thanks, and I'll be seeing you all soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.